morning. I don't know if you remember, it was about six or seven weeks ago that I stood up here on a Sunday and I told you guys as a church family, I said, hey, we're going to enter a season, about eight weeks as a church family of suffering. And I put this on the screen and you're like, well, Drew, you always put the gap on the screen. And you always say things like, you're either in a gap, you're stepping into a gap, or you're coming out of a gap. Because it's true. And so we're in Romans 8, and we're talking about suffering, and I, I try to implore with you, please don't leave me these eight weeks. And please remember that God is never leaving you. But the gaps are real, and we won't avoid them as a church. In fact, I think the Spirit of God prepares us for them on some level. So as a church, we gather regularly in life groups and living rooms on Sunday mornings, and we talk about the gap. And my promise to you as a preacher was simply this. Church, I would really hope and desire that you're not in the middle of a big gap. That was my statement to you six weeks ago. And you probably forgot it because you don't know what I said six days ago. So I get that. I said, my promise to you as a preacher is that I will not show up at the hospital and remind you of James chapter one, consider it pure joy, you encounter various trials. I won't show up in the hospital and preach Romans 8, that all things work together for good while you're sitting in the hospital. I promise you, I will not turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 of the imperishable hope. Instead, I promise you as a preacher and as a pastor was to just be faithfully with you in the gap. My prayer life is often, God, get me out of the gap. And yet God often says, no, 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 I have this for you. I'm inviting you into something. And so as much as my covenant to you as we stepped into this really eight-week miniseries, two weeks in Romans, end of eight, and now six weeks with the life of Joseph, is that we would recognize as a church that suffering is God's incubator for the people of God and the purposes of God. I made that statement. It was nothing new. It's nothing new to who we are as a church. And my hope was that we as a church would be able to see confidently the final score. That we would be able to see the steadfast love of God in the midst of the gaps of our life. And so I'm excited today. I was longing for this sermon today. I mean, God wrote this sermon forever ago because that's when the, the book was written. But I was really excited about this. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 41. And here's my summary statement. Because we're talking about the intentions of God in the midst of the life of Joseph. In the midst of your gap, my gap, and our gap collectively. That's what we've been talking about. What is God's intention? And yet God inspires Moses to write this book. Remember, Moses is writing to a gathering of Israelites that are wandering. And he's writing to them and he's saying, don't forget the purposes of God. In the midst of your suffering, personally and corporately, God is good and all the time, church. And that can't be a, a silly phrase that we say on a church that we put on a mug or we put on a shirt. It has to be put in our hearts, and that's by God. That's God's intentions, is that you would know this morning, more than anything else, that you are loved by a good God. Amen? And so Moses writes this book with an intention, a purpose. To, to show us the life of Joseph. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I like to know the end of the story, especially when I'm in the middle of it and I don't like it. You ever turned off a movie in the middle and just walked away? You ever just stopped reading a book halfway through? I don't know if I've ever finished a book, so that's me. <laughs> what are the intentions of a good God and a good father who is with and is for his people? I just believe that trials are always clearer through the rearview mirror of life. That often it's years later that you look back on something. And so today we're fast forwarding the life of Joseph 13 years. He's 30. And yet really for the last 13 years, it's not been good news, church. It's been bad news in Joseph's life, right? It's been the pit. It's been the prison. 
And so today we get to more clearly look back and see that God is not only with us, that was last week's sermon, but that God is actually for us, that's this week. And that the present gap is actually not only for our good, but also for his glory. Now church, please hear me. This summary statement was actually written five weeks ago. And so on many levels, I feel like we're just taking the next step in our journey with Jesus corporately following verse by verse where he, the spirit of God, is leading us. And yet the present gap is not only for our good, but it's also for his glory. And so as his story unfolds, here's been my prayer for you as your pastor, that you would begin to see, receive, and more fully believe that God's better is truly better. not always easy to believe, is it, church? It's not. And so we regularly pray as a church family, Lord, I believe. Would you help me in my lack of belief? Would you increase my faith? Would you help me to trust you that you are good all the time and that all the time that you are good? That, Lord, I don't know what's coming Sunday evening, but I trust that even though I don't know what the future holds, I do know that you hold the future and so like Jake, I, I miss being with you. I was on vacation last week and I miss being with you and it was Sunday night that I got a phone call from a good friend. He also was coming back from vacation and he called and, and he said, Drew, she's gone. And I sent out an email to you guys as a church family and just said, would you pray? We know and we believe that God is good, but would you pray to our good God, Father, Creator, King of heaven and earth? And I shared the update from David and Grace Contreras and about their family. David was, was really the first member of our church, even before membership existed. We was praying about moving up to planning a church, and David lives in the Rosemont area, and I still remember the day I was on preview trips, just saying, God, what are you inviting us into? And I still remember sitting with him at a, a, a Mexican restaurant. He said, oh, we're a part of Vintage Grace. And I'm like, how? You don't live in El Dorado Hills. Like, how are you? He goes, I have a car. I'm there. I'll be there. David was really our first setup champion. David and Grace would come Friday nights and set up the church at Marina Middle School in the OGVG days. They were really our first life group leaders, opening up their home to build a joy-filled community of faith. David and Grace are a picture that I long to be when we all grow up, the living proof of a loving God. And so when David called on Sunday night and said, she's gone, he was quick to say, but I know where she is. I know where she is. He and I have talked as husbands. What's our role as husbands, as dads, is to prepare our, our spouses and our family and our friends to meet Jesus. And David did that. And grace today is with Jesus. Amen. So let's not miss this moment. We want to, as a church family, mourn, lament, cry out. We want to feel all the things that God is in the middle of, all of this pain, all of these gaps. And we want to cry out and say, God, what is your intention? Crying out to God and saying, God, why is not a problem. That's a good question to ask. God, why? God, what are you doing? And I've got to have a front row seat to watch God minister to David and even more so David and his kids minister to the world. As people come to console in the hospital, first responders that were at the scene, as David says, hey, I know exactly where my bride is. I want to make sure that I get to point you to Jesus because that's what Grace would want for you. Thanks for serving her, but here's the truth. Grace is the one serving you in this moment. And so as we look at the life of Joseph, we see the complete story. Right now we're in the middle of a narrative and we don't necessarily know. 
What we do know is that God is with us and he is for us and we cry out to see, to receive, and to more fully believe. God, help us to trust that your better is better. My ask of you in that email continues today. Would we continue as a church family to be kneeling and crying out to God? As we sing those words this morning, you were healer then, be healer now. Would we continue to pray over Rosalie and Suzanne as we continue to pray that same prayer this week for decreased swelling in their brains as they're currently still in the PICU? Church, don't stop. Continue to cry out to God and ask for his glory to be seen in a hard week like this. For him to continue to minister to us and through us. And so as we turn to the story of Joseph right now, I hope that you turn to your hearts to say, God, what are your intentions? Then and now. What is your purpose? What is your intentions? Because we do cry out as a church that you're better is better. We do believe that, God, you are good all the time and that all the time that you are good. Help us in our lack of belief. And I don't know about you, when I get to look at a full story, I get to see all the things. And we don't always see all the things that he's doing. But right now we get to see in the life of Joseph the next step of his journey of where he is. We started in Genesis 37. I told you guys there's no bad news in the kingdom of God, just news that God is using for his glory and for your good. And yet the brothers intend evil for Joseph, to trick him, to deceive him, to throw him in a pit. That's what the brothers do to Joseph in Genesis 37. We remembered as a church that God was good, that there was no bad news in the kingdom. We turn then to Genesis chapter 37, where we said there, there is, the truth is there is not just a way out, there's a way through. See, so often my prayer life, when the gap is biggest, I say, God, get me out of this. And God says, no, I have something for you in this. I have something for you in this gap right now, for my glory and for your good. And you're like, wait, what? You have something for me when Potiphar's wife accuses me, intended for evil, and yet God still uses it for good. It's helpful to look back on stories and see God's faithfulness in 37 and 38 and 39, when we're in the pit, when we're in prison, that God has not left his throne. In fact, that's how chapter 39 ended. Remember that God is with him. Church, that's what's been amazing for me to watch is God is ministering with the Contreras, but through the Contreras, that God is with Joseph. This is how chapter 39 ended, but God was with Joseph. In fact, he was so much with Joseph that in the prison that that the guards, that the officers, the leaders said, man, this guy's going to do a better job doing my job than I am. So I'm going to let him do it. So much so because the Lord was with him and whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it succeed. He was faithful. Joseph is not a hero of faith. He's just a faithful follower of Yahweh. He was faithful to the glory of God and the cause of Christ because Christ was with him. Then last week we saw the intentions. It's not just the brothers that wish ill will. It's not just Potiphar that wishes ill will. I think it's Satan himself, right? That Satan intends for us to feel forgotten in our pits and our prisons, but God is with us. And so today we're going to look at the text that waiting time is not wasted time. It's really the number one text message I get, Facebook message I get right now is, is what's the update? What's next for the girls? Church, we will continue to pray and to watch. That's what's next. We sit and we pray. We sit and we lament and we cry out to a good God and we just pray. And you're like, well, there's got to be more. Guys, I don't know about you. There is nothing more that I can do. Amen? Life, death, sometimes we get confused that we think we hold things in our hands. We have nothing. We are desperate and dependent, but God alone is good. And so we pray. That's what's next. Church, keep praying. And so as we follow the life of Joseph, it's easy to say, well, what's next? It feels like he's just been sitting in prison for so long. Yeah, I think he feels that way too. It's been two years he's sitting in prison. 
Would you bow your head and pray with me as we cry out, God, what is next? We come before you after this week corporately of praying as a church and we cry out to you and say, God, what's next? What are you doing and how do we be faithful to you because we know that you and you alone are faithful? And so we come before you and we say, Lord, there are brothers, there is Potiphar wives, there is Satan, there is evil in this world, there is brokenness, there is destruction, and yet, God, we know that all things work together for good, and so we cry out to you in our brokenness, and we ask, Spirit of God, that you would speak, that you would show us what you're doing in Joseph's life as a reminder that you're doing it in our lives, too. Would you do it again, we pray, for your glory and for our good and for the good of those who don't yet know you, Jesus, would they know you better this week because of our faith? And everybody said, amen. Two years. What's next? I mean, imagine that every morning Joseph wakes up and says, God, what are you inviting me into today? Now, I don't know if Joseph said that. I'm just saying if he went to Vintage Grace, he would do that. Two straight years. God, what's next? God, what's next? God, what's next? And God kept saying, you're right where I want you. You're right where I want you. And if we trust that he's a good God, then we say, okay, God, I want to be faithful right where I am right now. And that's what Joseph does for two years. After two whole years then, then something happens. Pharaoh dreamed a dream. He was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, a holy number, attractive and plump. I've told you guys, I am a huge animal lover, and plump cows are probably at the top of the list. (laughs) This is the dream. Literally, this is the dream. And they fed on the reed grass, and behold, seven other cows, ugly, thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile, and the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and then Pharaoh awakes. You ever had one of those bad dreams before? Maybe it's about your kids, about the people that you care about the most. You feel like it's so real, you can taste it, you can feel it, and you just want to wake up. So Pharaoh wakes up, and on some level, I think he's like, man, I'm so glad that's over. I don't want to dream. Sometimes you have really good dreams, and you're like, I just want to go back to sleep. Other times your life feels like you just want to wake up because it just feels that bad. So Pharaoh wakes up. In that context, he says, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to go back to sleep. But he fell back asleep and he dreamed a second time. Behold, there were now seven ears of grain, plump, good, were the growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin, blighted by the east wind. And the ears then swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke. And behold, it was a dream. And so in the morning, his spirit was what, church? Troubled. He did not like what he was seeing. He did not like what was before him. And so what does he do? He cries out and he sent and he called for the magicians of Egypt and he said, come, please help me. Help me interpret this dream. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there were none of them who could interpret them to Pharaoh, none. And so Pharaoh was like, what's going on? Church, can we just pause for a moment? There are people in our life right now that are asking the question of all sorts of things, what's going on? Church, in that moment, here's my prayer for you and my prayer for me that we would be ready to point them to Jesus. Pharaoh is desperate. He is dependent. He doesn't like his circumstances. Like, welcome to America. As people cry out, I don't like what's happening. Guys, that's a moment for the gospel. That's a kingdom opportunity for the kingdom of God to enter their hearts. And so Pharaoh cries out. He says, what's going on? No one can give him an answer. And I love this next word. What's the word say in verse 9? Thin. We often will quote the John Piper quote that God is doing 10,000 things in your life right now and you know three of them. 
don't know about you, but that's probably generous for Drew. I don't even know if I can handle three. I think I have to know like one. Like right now I'm preaching and that's it. Then three times we're going to see Moses as he records this. What are his intentions? Three times he's going to say, then in verse nine, then in 14, then in 25. Why? Because when things are going bad, we have a tendency to forget that God has never vacated the throne of the world, of the cosmos, of creation, or of your heart. It's easy for us to say, yeah, but look at all these things. I'm living a bad dream. But then, and it's a reminder from Moses to you and me and the reader that God is still God. And that God is still good. Two years. And it hasn't just been two years for Joseph. It's been 13. 13 years since he was beat up by his brothers and sold into slavery and sitting in the pit and sitting in prisons. Two years since he made a covenant with the cupbearer and said, hey, I'll do this for you, but don't you forget about me. You ever made a covenant with a guy and have him let you down? You promised two years since the cupbearers left him that he promised he would not forget him. And God says, then, 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 then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I have not forgotten. I remember my offenses today. Two years later, I don't know about you, but you could have just done it two minutes later and then you wouldn't have to forget anything at all. I have anyone taking notes or writing things down. Like I just write, I send myself text messages all the time because I'm going to forget any and everything. The cupbearer forgot. He moved on with his life. That's what happens when circumstances are going good. When we're desperate dependent, we cry out. When they're good, we forget. The cupbearer then remembers his offensive. This is a theme in the book of Genesis chapter eight. God remembers Noah Chapter 19, God remembers Abraham in the context of Sodom and Gomorrah. He remembers his faithful covenant. The cupbearer broke his word. God never does. In chapter 30, God remembers Rachel. He remembers her infertility. He remembers her pain. He's with her, and God remembers. And so through the cupbearer, God is remembering Joseph. And Pharaoh then was angry with the servants, and he put me and the chief baker in custody. Remember that time, Pharaoh, when you did this to us? And we both dreamed these dreams, and I had a dream, and he had a dream, each with its own interpretation. And there was this young Hebrew that was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us and he gave us an interpretation, each man according to the dream. And Pharaoh's like, you're just now bringing this up? Yeah, Pharaoh, this is what happened. And he interpreted them to us and it actually came to be true. So I then was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Remember, Pharaoh, that, that kind of happened. Verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and he called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. They called Joseph and, and they said this, we need to shave. I think part of why Moses tells this is the circumstances are just bad. Joseph doesn't look like Joseph. Like this is Tom Hanks castaway. He hasn't shaved. He, he either has clothes or the, if he has clothes, they stink. He needs new clothes. Like he is not presentable to be before Pharaoh at this point. That's why Moses gives us these details. They needed to shave him. They needed to change his clothes. And he comes before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it, but I've heard it said about you. Church, that's my prayer for you. In your places of work, in your little league, in your home, in your neighborhood, that people would say, I've heard it said about you. Not that you need to shave and that you need new clothes. I've heard it said about you that when the crap hits the fan, you're the person I need to call. And it's not even that you're awesome, but it's that you follow an awesome God. 
And I want to go to you. I want to ask you questions and I want to pursue you because your reputation is that you are a God-fearing man or woman of the kingdom. And this issue that I'm in the middle of is beyond this world. Why? Because everything is actually spiritual. Because everything is a kingdom moment and a kingdom opportunity. Church, that has been my prayer for you since the day you walked through these doors, since the day we planted this church. It was a part of David and Grace's prayer for all of us as a community of faith. They would be men and women of a different spirit that the world would see us. Our mantra, remember, do not forget, is that we would be the living proof of a loving God. Not because we live in the palace, but because we're going to live in the pit. Because we're going to live in prison. And when we do, someone's going to see and someone's going to reach out. And maybe it's Pharaoh himself and says, I've heard this about you. What is going on? I heard that when you are there, that when dreams happen, you can interpret. And so Joseph answered to Pharaoh. And so church, may we just pause and remember what is our role? Our role is to be faithful, to be present, and to be available. That's it. That's it. Our role is not to have all the answers, but to point to the way, the truth, and the life. That was Joseph's role. Joseph is not just a hero of faith. He's, he's a hero of faithfulness, of just showing up, of being available now, again, I don't know about you, but I don't want to give Joseph too much credit. Was he available? He kind of had nothing better to do for two years. He was just sitting there. God, what are you inviting me into today? God, what, what's the next step in my journey with you? I know you are good. I know these circumstances are not, but there's no bad news in the kingdom. So God, what's next? What are you inviting me into? And so please pay close attention. Joseph's role is similar to your role. It's to be faithful. It's to show up. It's to be available. It's to say, God, what are you doing? I just want to take the next step wherever it is you lead me, Spirit. You lead me. The person who's really in charge is God. It's not us. And you're going to see this in the text. God is the one, all those thens, right? God is the one that is driving his narrative forward. In fact, Joseph experienced what I think is great OST, ongoing spiritual transformation. Here's Joseph. Guys, it's not about me. My job is not to be a hero for you, Pharaoh. My job is to be faithful. God is the hero. That's what the text says. It is not me, it is God. Joseph takes no credit. Church, I want to encourage you when people come and ask you the question, I don't know what your go-to line is. For me, sometimes it's, look, only follow me as I follow Christ. Don't forget, Drew rhymes with, I don't know what jingle works for you, but it's worked for me. It's not about Joseph. It's not about Drew. It's not about any pit or any palace. It's not about anything. It's about the purposes and the intentions of God. And Joseph faithfully says, no, 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 Pharaoh, look, if you, if you want me, just understand, I'm just going to ask God to speak through me. He says, this is about God. It is not me. It is God who will give Pharaoh favorable answers. So then Pharaoh, of course, is like, okay, I don't really care where it comes from. Because when you're desperate, you don't actually care where the answer comes from, just what the answer is. So Pharaoh says, cool, I, I don't care. Yahweh, let's go. He says, here's my dream. Behold, in my dream, I had these plump, attractive cows. They came to the Nile. They fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up and ate them. They were poor. They were ugly. They were thin. They were the worst things you've ever seen in all the land. And then the thin, ugly cows ate the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one had even known that they had eaten all these plump cows. Now, again, please pause. This is partly my dream. Like, I would love to eat all the plump cows and have no one even notice the difference. <laughs> so Pharaoh's like, I don't get it. This thing happened, and they're as ugly as they've ever been. And then I awoke, and he's like, but there's more. Then I had another dream. And then there were these seven corn stalks. And then there was just one, and out of that was seven ears that withered and dried. And then the, the ugly ones, they came, and they ate them. And I, I told these to the musicians, and there was no one that could explain it to me. And then Joseph said to Pharaoh, 
Hey, the dreams are just this one story. Have you ever had a moment in your life where the Holy Spirit has just jumped out of you? Like you start talking and you're like, I don't even know where this came from. I'm confident Joseph has not studied dreams about corns and skinny cows. I'm pretty confident. I'm confident in that moment. Remember, Joseph knows what happens when someone either misinterprets a dream or when they don't give Pharaoh what he wants. They get hanged. Moses reminding us of these truths. So in that moment, Joseph says, okay, God, I don't know what you're going to do, but here I am. Send me. And so Joseph, the spirit of God, I believe, just pops out. He says, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed it. Three times he's going to say, God has revealed, God has done, God has revealed what it's about to do. Our role is to be faithful. God's role is he's always going to show up. He's always going to do his intentions and his purposes. And so you're going to see this in these next three paragraphs. The text goes on. It says, then the seven cows, good years are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years, and the dreams are one, and the seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and seven empty ears, blighted by the east wind, are seven years of famine. And it is told to Pharaoh, this is the second time, God is showing to you what he's about to do. God is sovereign. God is in control. God sits on his throne. He has not vacated his seat. No one else deserves it or has earned it. There will then come these seven years of great plenty throughout the land of Egypt. And in that context, after there will then arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown for the land by reason and the famine that will follow for a very, very severe. You won't even remember the good days, the good old days because of this famine in front of you. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God. God will bring this about. Now, therefore, you, Pharaoh, should probably do something about this. Pharaoh, this sounds like bad news. Now, again, bad news in the kingdom of God is just news he's using for his glory and your good. But Pharaoh, you've had this dream. God has spoken to you. I've told you about him, and I've told you what he said. Pharaoh, you should select someone discerning, a wise man, and set him over the land of Egypt. And so Pharaoh says, that sounds like a great plan. I don't have a plan. Pharaoh proceeded then to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce and actually save it during the seven plentiful years. Now, here's what I want to pause and recognize. Three times, God is sovereign, God is sovereign, God is sovereign. Do not blame God's sovereignty for your lack of movement. God is sovereign and God is good, but in God's sovereignty, he says, now what are you going to do about it? Are you going to trust me? Are you going to act on your faith? Pharaoh wisely says, yep, Joseph, I'm in. Whatever you want, let's do it. And so they did it. Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge. They actually started this process where where he kind of becomes the, the great leader of the country. Remember, Egypt is a power of the world. And this man that was in a pit and in prison in these last 13 years now oversees the power of the world. That's what we see happen here in Genesis 41, that food will be the reserve for the land against the seven years of famine. The text then goes on as Joseph creates this game plan and then the proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we, find a, can we find a man like this in whom is on the spirit of God? And what's their answer? Nope. So Joseph, you're the man. Remember, Joseph is not like, yeah, you're right, I'm the man. I don't know about you, but you have a tendency to like believe your own press that's not true. Joseph never once, nope, that's God, that's God, that's God. Why? Because what makes Joseph blessed is the presence of God that was with him in the pit. He's just as blessed right now as he was 13 years ago. Because the presence of God is with him. That's how he even has this wisdom. And so Pharaoh says, is there a man like this church? Please hear me. Like my hope for you is you are the best worker in your complex. That you're the best baseball coach, that you're the best neighbor, 
that you're the best mother or father, that you are the best high school teacher, that you're the best nurse, not so that they see you, but they see that you work for something beyond this world because you do, his name is Jesus. That's what Pharaoh recognizes. Why? Because the world is watching. The world is watching us as we live in our pits. And they don't actually care about our palaces. They're gonna get a bigger one than us anyways, they think. They're focused, but when they are confronted with the evil of this world, here's my prayer, because they see your faithfulness, because they see who you are, and it's not about your identity here, it's about your identity in Christ, that they reach out to you, that they literally put you in charge because they know that you don't work for them, you work for God. He goes on, Pharaoh then says to Joseph, since God has shown you all this and there's no one as discerning or wise as you, you will be over my house and my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater. Pay attention there, right? Pharaoh's like, I'm not giving up the throne. And that's going to be true of your bosses too. That's okay. You're just praying that they would see Jesus deserves their real throne of their heart. I think Joseph continues that. He says, all right, I'm going I'm to, okay, let's go. And Pharaoh goes on and says to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Just like when he was in the prison, he was given all the power and all the authority. It was God that gave it to him, not Pharaoh, not the prison guard, not even Potiphar. It was always about God. The text goes on and it says, then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand. He takes it off and he gives it to Joseph and he gives him clothes. He gives him a gold chain. He gives him a chariot. Like that's a pretty nice signing bonus. Anybody else? He gives him a chariot. He sets him over with all the power. He gives him a new name. He gives him a wife. Like he wasn't even able to like talk to a woman two, two days ago. Now he has a wife. And so God says, look, this is about my plan. This is about my sovereignty. And my fear is in the American church. We're like, man, this boy is blessed. Church, don't miss this. He was blessed in the pit. Because blessing is the presence of God. That's what blessing is. My fear is the way we in America interpret blessing is by health, wealth, and, and new chariots. That's not the Bible. It's not the gospel. If anything, those things have a tendency to distract us from the kingdom of God, to delay our inheritance in the kingdom of God, and to take us away from the king himself. And so don't miss this. I believe prosperity preachers in America, on some level, they got it right in the sense that God is going to prosper you. But remember, we've said this for years at Vintage, they got the timing wrong. It's not about this side of heaven, it's about the next. And that doesn't mean it's bad to have rings or clothes or gold chains or chariots. It's just, are you using them for eternal purposes or for your purposes? What are the intentions that you have for these things? When we say that we are blessed in America, please hear me. Joseph would be the first one to correct us and say, no, I was just as blessed in the prison as I was in the palace. Don't miss this. The blessing is not about today, but an eternity of tomorrows. And so you don't have to repent over what you have, you just have to steward it for God's glory. Steward your pits, steward your palaces, both. That's what we see Moses would encourage us. He gets married to Asenath, and who, who is this woman? Well, Asenath is the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, and Joseph goes on and he takes over the land of Egypt. He's 30 years old, 13 years from week one. That's why we talked about earlier in the series, what would you tell your younger self? What would you tell your younger self? Here's my prayer for you and for me that we would faithfully say, Drew, stay faithful. Yeah, what about when you don't get what you want? Stay faithful. What about when you're in the pit? Stay faithful. What about when you're in prison? Stay faithful. What about when you're living in the hospital? Stay faithful. Because God is good. Because God is with you. Because God is for you. Stay faithful. And so Joseph stayed faithful. And he was 30 years when he entered into the service of Pharaoh. During that time, there were seven plentiful years on earth and they produced abundantly and he gathered up all the food over these seven years. I don't know about you, but I, I gotta believe at one point, Joseph's like, man, we got plenty. 
Again, welcome to America. We got plenty. Why do we have plenty? Because God is preparing us for the future. He's preparing us to steward this well. He told us it's not ours, it's his. He's the Lord of the harvest. We steward what he has provided. I don't know about you, but sometimes when things are going well, I get distracted, I get confused. I'm like, man, this is good. I think Joseph had a temptation to take his foot off the gas of faithfulness. To say, well, this is okay. And and to deviate from the plan, he stayed focused. And so he gathers this up and he puts the food in the cities and he put in every city and he, he banked the food because God told him to. Stay faithful. Shortly after that, we see the, the, the text go on. Joseph stored up the grain and all the abundance. And before the year of the famine, so six years in to the abundance, he gets blessed with two sons that were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. And Joseph calls them the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget my hardships and all of my father's house. Vintage regularly, we will pull out the gold rope from below the stage. Really, we'll, we'll pull this out and we'll just remember that, that God has entrusted to us a black tape of life. There was a beginning of our life and there is an end. 20, 40, 60, 80 years. In this context, seven years of abundance and God is going to be with you in the black tape. But his hope for you is not that you would have the best black tape ever. His hope for you is that you get him in the midst of the black tape. That's what I love about Jake's testimony. Our hope is that you would get Jesus wherever you are in your journey wherever the gaps are, but God's focus for you is on the gold and the gold goes for how long, church? May we not be short-sighted. I think when you're in six years of abundance, it's easy to be short-sighted and say, no, 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 we're good now, we got plenty. I promise you, people were telling Joseph, come on, you, you don't need to store all this. You don't actually need this. No, God is doing something to you and through you. And so when he has his son Manasseh, he says, look, my black tape was tough. 13 years was painful. Remember, Moses is writing the book. Moses is like, mine was 40 years. I don't know how long the gaps are going to be. Here's the truth of the matter. Your prayer life can't say, God, get me out of this gap because the next one's coming. Your prayer life has to be, God, would you be present with me in the gap? Would you remind me of eternity? Would you remind me of the true story of who I am in you? And so he names his sons. Why? Because every time he sees him, he's going to remember, God made me forget. As hard as that black tape was, God makes me forget. It makes me forget because the gold rope is just that much better. It makes me forget, and Romans 8 reminded us that the suffering of this present age, the black tape will pale in comparison to the future glory, and yet he doesn't just name one son Manasseh to forget the hardships, then he names his second son Ephraim. Ephraim, which means, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Church, don't miss this. God is doing something in your black tape living. Something in your cancer, something in your gap, something in your marriage, something in your home, something in every single accident that you were a part of, God is actively engaging. He's with you. That's what he tells Joseph. Joseph, I haven't forgotten you in the prison. The cupbearer forgot you. I haven't forgotten you. I am with you and I am for you. And sometimes I might take you out of the pit and put you in the palace, but sometimes I might just leave you. For how long, God? For how long must I pray and watch? I just want a step. I just want something different. And so Joseph stays faithful and he says, Ephraim, God is going to make my affliction fruitful. He's going to redeem my pain for his purposes. He's going to redeem every gap for his glory. And his glory is not separate from my good. Church, we all need to be reminded of that this week. 
He is with you. He is for you. He has not left you. And Joseph has to remember that at 30. He has to remember that at 36 at the birth of his sons. He needs to remember it at age 44 when there's seven years of, of a lack. God, how much longer? No, God prepared us. You're either in a gap, you're stepping into a gap, or you're coming out of one. One of those three things is true. The gap is not the problem. The problem is, do you see the spirit of God with you and his presence for you in it? And so seven years of plenty happen. It continues on. The, the, the text says that the seven years of plenty happened. The seven years of, of, of scarcity happened. And when all the world was losing their mind and all of Egypt comes to Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, no, no, go to Joseph. Church, that's our call. Our call is to be the people of God incubated in his presence, led by him as he grows us so that when the world falls apart, people come to us and they ask us questions. Wait, your world's falling apart. My world's falling apart. Why are you still happy? You're living in a pit. You're living in a prison. Why? Because God is good all the time. Because all the time, God is good. And I don't know what he's doing, but I know him. I know he only does good things. And so during this season of famine, the entire world goes to Joseph because of his faithfulness and Yahweh's leadership through him. All the earth, it says in 57, came to Egypt. All the earth. Now, let's just pause for a moment. Who's a part of all the earth? All those brothers that did him so dirty a couple of weeks ago. 13 years ago, all those brothers that spit in his face, that beat him up. Now it's 27 years later. They're going to come back next week. God is working all things for his glory and for your good. Don't miss it, church. That's the reminder of Joseph. That's the gift for us to see a full story, to remember who our good God and Father is. And so what are the implications? There's a ton, church. There's a ton for us this week. There's a ton for me right now. There's a ton for you in this moment. It was earlier this week. It was a busy week, obviously, and I lost my glasses. And I'm like, I don't need my glasses. I, I don't, I'm fine. And then I like got in the car. I'm sorry. I'm like, I need my glasses. Who's got my glasses? I can't, y'all look beautiful right now because I can't see you. When we lose perspective, when we forget that God is good, we don't see clearly. We don't see that he's inviting us into something. Please hear my heart. One of the greatest gifts to my faith has been watching the entire Contreras family see clearly as they pray and as they watch and as they wait. They see that God is good. Their heart hurts and we mourn with those who mourn and we weep and we lament and we cry out. But we know, church, that waiting time is never wasted time. And yet, I don't know about you, but I live in a world of waiting. Everywhere I go, they're like, get in line, take a number. Like I go to the DMV, please wait. I don't want to wait. I had an appointment. Go to the passport office, please wait. Go to the passport office to the, the car breaking down, AAA. I have AAA so I don't have to wait. Would you please wait? No. Go to the airport, your flight gets canceled. Please wait. I don't want to wait. Like this is just my last couple months, church. Like wait, 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 wait. I have to remember in that moment, I have to put on my spiritual lenses and say, waiting time is never wasted time. God is inviting me into something right now. All of the times that I get most frustrated in my life, it feels like it's because I don't get what I want, when I want, and how I want it. I want fast food theology my way right away. It's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's not the glory of God and it's not the goodness of God. That's what we want, church, amen? We want his glory and we want his goodness. Waiting time is never wasted time. What I find in the passport, the DMV, the tow truck, the flight, what I find is that I am destination driven. Anyone else destination driven? I just want to get there. 
wherever there is, it doesn't matter where there is, just get me there. And God cares more about the process in our hearts. The kingdom of God is not just a destination. The kingdom of God is a person. The kingdom of God is king driven, people driven, and he is working all things together for good to his people. It's not a task to achieve, it's a king to worship. It's a king to abide in. And yet the human condition while I'm on my journey with Jesus, just like the Israelites, is say, God, just take me back to Egypt. I don't want to be here anymore. And God's like, I want you to be with me. I'm going to meet you in the gap. Waiting time is never going to be wasted. Yes, Drew, you're prone to wander. You're prone to leave the one you love. Repent. Get off the throne of your heart and say, God, I, I want to see you. I want to believe. I want to more fully receive your kingdom. Here's the second implication. Because God is always with you and he has the way through it. I tend to want to run away from burdens and trials. I tend to want to go under the trial, around the trial. I'll try to jump the trial. And God so often says, no, I'm going to be with you in the trial and we're going to walk through it together. Because I have something for you in this pain. Because my intentions are good. Because my intentions are holy. Because I'm a good father. And God is always with you and he has the way through it. He just wants you to be with him. The theme of this series, as we've looked back as a team, the theme of this has been the traditional Japanese art form of kintsugi. It's this picture of this broken, fallen world. That in this broken, fallen world where the pieces are scattered and they're shattered, that God is the true artist, that he's putting pieces back together again, and he's lacing it through with gold and with silver. He's reminding us of the eternity that's to come. He's reminding us that he's with us, that we can lean into him that like Ephraim that it can be fruitful in our brokenness strength and resilience that there's a redemptive world that's taking place we sang that song earlier this morning that we are but broken vessels crying out to God the healer the creator and saying God create in me a clean heart create in me a new redemptive work that's the metaphor of Kitsugi we cry out to him as transformed vessels we cry out to him and say God I need amazing grace I am broken apart from you this week, it's been easy to lament, to cry out to God. It's been easy to remember and to reflect and to say, man, as people have been sitting in the hospital and praying for, for Grace's girls to look back at the life of Grace, I, I don't believe in sainthood, but if there was sainthood, Grace would have it. She lived the gospel. Every second of her life, I, I know that she is not perfect. Today she is. She's perfectly with Jesus. But don't miss this. God is redeeming and restoring each one of us in our brokenness. And he's restoring and he's healing and he's calling us back. And the one word that God keeps giving to me, two words in particular, one is, Drew, this is not a drill. We are all broken. We're all preparing our hearts for what he's inviting us into. And the verse that continues on repeat in my head is, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace, sufficient for you. Church, would you receive that? Would you right now just take your communion elements and just hold them? We're not going to take them until after this song. Would you just hold the communion elements? Would you remember like the verses that we've been reading that in the life of Jesus, the cross always precedes the crown. Jesus is going to get a crown. But in communion, we pause and remember that he laid down his life and he said, God, I trust you in my reality. In this broken world, in my circumstances, Jesus models for us faith and what it looks like to say, God, I trust you, Father. This world is broken, but I trust you. My family, my friends, may we take a moment and pause and remember that the world will sway. 
that the oceans will rise and yet in Christ we have been rooted in a firm foundation. Moses wants that for the early Israelites. Paul wants it for the early church. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, you cannot have life without death. You can't have eternal life. You can't have it apart from Christ laying down his life. That suffering is a prerequisite for glory. That in the kingdom of God, death always precedes life. And so church, may we cry out, may we receive Christ's death for our life so we might have eternal life. Spirit of God, we come before you and we lament. We lament this week, we lament our circumstance, we lament all of our gaps, all of our brokenness. We cry out to you as a good father and we say we're but broken vessels and we ask that you would do a work to us and through us, that we would recognize that this life is not a drill, that it's for us to receive your sufficient grace and then be conduit of it to others. So Spirit of God, would you meet with us as we cry out to you, our firm, and only foundation we cry.